If you have a Bible with you this morning, you can turn to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that passage is printed for you in the worship guide, or you can also use the pew Bibles in front of you. If you use one of those, you'll find John chapter 15, beginning on page 901. Over the last several weeks, we've been going through a mini-series here at City Church, which we've been referring to as Flourish. And throughout our series, we've been looking at the book of John, which is the fourth gospel, which we find in the New Testament. Each week throughout our series, Jason has begun his sermon with a similar statement. His statement is, Jesus wasn't interested in helping people become more religious. He came to help us flourish. In fact, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I believe, we saw Jesus make almost that same statement in John chapter 10. In verse 10, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus, in that verse, is essentially making a purpose statement for himself. He's announcing the reason that he came to earth. And what he proclaims is that he came so that we could have abundant life. Jesus announces that he came so that we could flourish. So as we come to our passage this morning, one of the important questions that we should be asking as we look at it is, what does Jesus teach us about flourishing in this passage? Let's keep that question in mind as we look at the passage now. I'll read it aloud for us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that, he does, not, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that where, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray as we look at this passage together. Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you that you speak to us through your word, that you teach us about who you are, and you teach us about who we are as your people. And I ask that you would do that this morning. I ask that you would teach us what it looks like for us to flourish. You would teach us what it looks like to abide in you. 
that you would help us to put our trust in you and help us to align our lives with the way that you call us to live. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a conversation that even in the moment you realized was more significant than others? Maybe it was a conversation where in the midst of it you realized that everything was about to change. Or maybe it was a conversation with someone that was really important to you. Maybe even a conversation that you knew would be among the last with a person who was really important to you. A few years ago, I found myself in that situation. I learned a few years ago that one of the men who had been a mentor to me during my semester in Fiji had, and probably the person who had the single greatest influence over my decision to go into the ministry, had been diagnosed with bladder cancer and was given less than five months to live. Now, during the four months that I spent with him in Fiji, we had many important conversations. In fact, as I've said, some of those conversations even changed the course of my life. But in the months after his diagnosis, each conversation that I had with him seemed to have more weight to it. The emails that we exchanged through his daughter seemed more important to me in those moments than any other conversations in my life. And as I engaged in those conversations with him, I began to reflect on all of the things that he had taught me. I began thinking anew about how to apply all the lessons he had taught me. And even the past conversations that we had had seemed to have more weight to them as I reflected on them. As I typed each message to him, I was very careful to choose exactly the right words, trying to communicate something meaningful to him, trying to grasp whatever last lessons I could learn from him in the time that he had remaining. Have you ever found yourself in a similar position? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you realized that there was something uniquely significant about the conversation that you were having? That's the situation that Jesus and the disciples find themselves in in this passage. Jesus is giving the disciples his final instructions before he goes to the cross. Back in chapter 11 of John, we see that the Pharisees begin to plot to arrest and murder Jesus. And then in chapter 12, we see Mary anoints Jesus, and Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then in chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet, and he shares with them the Last Supper. And then starting last week, when we looked at chapter 14 and continuing this morning in chapter 15, we're looking at Jesus' final words of instruction to his disciples. Now, if we look at the stories of how the disciples react after Jesus is hung on the cross, we know that in this moment, they don't fully understand the weight of what's happening. But this conversation has weight to it. Jesus is taking this last opportunity to emphasize the things that are really important to his disciples. And if Jesus, as we've already said, came so that we could have abundant life, if he came so that he could teach us how to flourish, then what we should expect in this passage are instructions on how we flourish. We should expect that Jesus is taking this final opportunity to show us what it looks like to have abundant life. So let's look again at this passage and see how Jesus teaches us to flourish in his final words. Let's start off by looking at verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus says that we prove to be his disciples when we're bearing fruit. And he calls us to abide in him so that we can produce fruit. Now, in this passage, we don't get much of an explanation of what it means to bear fruit, but the commentators seem to agree that Jesus is at least partially talking about how our actions impact the people around us because of our faith. It's possible he's also referring to the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 24. Those are things that we should also be growing in as his disciples. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if Jesus is thinking about these inward character formations when he makes this statement, he's also talking about their outward manifestation and the effect that that has on the people around us. And in verse 1, we see that Jesus makes the statement, I am the true vine. He doesn't just refer to himself as the vine or a vine, but he says, I am the true vine, which should make us ask a question. We should be asking, what other vine is there? If Jesus is the true vine, then who or what are the untrue vines? Well, when Jesus makes the statement, he's referring back to the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, there are several times where Israel is referred to as a vine or a vineyard. But usually when the Old Testament is talking about Israel as a vine or a vineyard, it's not in a positive light. Israel is talked about as a vineyard with no good fruit. We see one example of this in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. In Isaiah chapter 5, God is lamenting that Israel is a vineyard that produces no fruit. He laments that he's done the work to care for the vine. He has done the work to care for the vineyard, but it yields only wild grapes. And so he says he's going to lay it to waste. Now, what is the fruit that Israel failed to produce? Well, if you remember back a few years ago, we started a series on the book of Genesis. And a few months into that, we looked at Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abraham. He tells Abraham to leave his country, to leave his family, and go to the land that God's going to provide for him. And he promises that when he arrives there, God's going to make him into a great nation. 
and that he's going to bless this nation so that they can be a blessing to all other nations. And then out of the line of Abraham comes this nation of Israel. Israel is the nation that God promised to bless so that they would be a blessing to others. So here in Isaiah chapter 5, we see God lamenting that he has built Israel up to be a fruitful vineyard. He's cared for his vineyard. He's blessed Israel to be a blessing to other nations, but they have not produced the fruit that he cultivated them to produce. They have not been a blessing to other nations. Throughout the Old Testament, we see Israel fails at their calling over and over again. And so here in Isaiah 5, God finally says, I'm going to lay you to waste. But that's not the end of the vineyard. In Isaiah chapter 27, God promises that he is going to bring about a new vineyard. And this new vineyard is going to fill the earth with fruit. And so here in John chapter 15, where we are this morning, Jesus is saying that he is the promised vine. He is the vine that God is talking about, that Isaiah is talking about in chapter 27. Jesus announces that he has replaced the fruitless vine of Israel, and he is now the true vine, the vine that's going to fill the earth with fruit. And then he calls us to abide in him so that we can produce the fruit that Israel failed to produce. He calls us to abide in him as we learn to serve him in the world around us. But what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us to produce fruit? Well, as we think about that question, there's one helpful question that Tim Keller has asked that could be helpful for us to consider. He asks, if you and your church were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, would anyone in the community around you notice you were gone? And if the community did even notice, would they say, we're really glad they are gone, or we are really going to miss them? Let's think about that for a minute now. If City Church was gone tomorrow, would our neighborhood have reason to care that we were no longer around? Would our city even notice that we were missing? And if they did notice, would they miss us? If you're thinking the answer to that is yes, then what are the reasons that you're thinking we would be missed? The answers that come to mind, those are the areas where we are showing fruit, where we're bearing fruit right now. And I think there are areas where, honestly, we, we can definitely say our neighborhood would miss us if we weren't around anymore. A little bit later in our service, we're going to hear from our Mercy Ministry team about some ways that we've been able to bless our neighborhood. If you've ever attended our annual Fall Fest or our Easter egg hunt, you know that that is a way that we're able to be our blessing to our neighborhood. And some of you may even know, a few years ago, we moved those events from Cool Spring Park, which is right out front of this building, over to Tilton Park, because some of our neighbors were talking about starting some sort of fall festival in Tilton Park and looking for someone to run it. And so it was simple for us to say, well, we've been doing this for years. Why don't we just meet this need that has come up in our neighborhood? And we moved it over there. That's a direct way where people from our neighborhood who are not connected to City Church expressed a need and we, within a couple of months, were able to fill that need. If you've ever attended any of the art shows or the bazaars at the third place, you know that that's another opportunity where people in our neighborhood come together in a way that they don't otherwise have opportunity to do. And we can think of more examples of ways that City Church has formed a meaningful presence in this neighborhood. But in some ways, while we're already bearing fruit, if we look at verse 2, we see that Jesus says that God takes the branches that are not bearing fruit away but he prunes the branches that are bearing fruit so that they'll bear more fruit. That should be our desire as a congregation. We should desire to be pruned so that we can bear more fruit. We should be continually looking for more opportunities in our neighborhood and in our city to bless the people around us so that people learn what God is like when they spend time with us. 
And what about as individuals? If you disappeared tomorrow, would your neighbors notice that you were missing? And if they did notice you were missing, would they rejoice over the additional parking spaces on the block? Or would they be sad that you were gone? What impact are you having on your neighbors? What impact are you having on your neighborhood? And where are there opportunities for you to bear more fruit in your neighborhood? Where are there opportunities for you to be a blessing to the people that live around you? Jesus calls us to abide in him as we learn to serve him in our communities. But Jesus doesn't just call us to abide in him to change how we interact with the world around us. He also calls us to abide in him as we change how we interact with each other in this community. Let's take a look at verses 12 through 17. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Jesus calls us to love one another. He calls us to abide in his love as we learn to love each other in the way that he loves us. And he says that we show the greatest love by laying down our lives for our friends. Now, we may hear that and think, clearly Jesus has misspoken here because it would actually be greater love for us to lay down our life for our enemy than for our friend. But the commentators agree on this passage that Jesus is not comparing love for friends and love for enemies right now. The context that he's in, he's sitting surrounded by friends and he knows that he is about to lay down his life for them. And he's calling them to love each other in the same way that he loves them. And then after this statement, he does go and lay down his life for his enemies, for those of us who have sinned against God. He lays down his life for us, his enemies, so that we could be called his friends. Philip Lloyd, who was a Christian writer, said, In truth, love has sunk below its proper level if it begins to ask who is my friend and who is my enemy. Love gives and gives everything for all men. So what does it look like for us to love in a way that we give everything for each other? What does it look like for us to lay down our lives for each other? When we think about those questions, we may be tempted to think of big, dramatic examples. And I'll admit that that is exactly where my mind went when I started thinking about this. Up until now, I have managed to avoid publicly acknowledging this, but I am one of the many adults who still play Pokemon Go two years after it came out. Uh, I'll spare you the details of the game because I've had enough conversations in those two years with my wife and with other friends to be well aware that, for the most part, nobody really cares about the details. So I won't go into them now. If you want to know the details, though, I'm very happy to share them with you. Come see me after the service. Uh, so I bring that up, though, because oh, about a year ago, they added a component to the game that requires you to play with other people. So in the past year, I've met a lot of people through this game. One of those people a few months ago got into a car accident, and it was a bad enough car accident that he was going to be without a car for the entirety of the time it took them to do the repairs. It was not drivable. He was going to have to find some other means of transportation. When that happened, another person that we also met through this game 
offered to allow him to use her car for the duration of the time that his car was being repaired. Now, the repairs ended up stretching out for several weeks, maybe even over a month. And during that time that he was borrowing her car, it wasn't just when you need it, come get it. It was take it home with you, use it however you need it. I'll get it back when your car is ready. During that time, she was left without transportation. She had to find someone to pick her up if she wanted to go somewhere, or she had to walk there on her own. Now, I'm sure that during that time, during that month, there were times where it was really inconvenient for her not to have her car. There were probably even times where she regretted making the offer in the first place. But as I watched this unfold, as I interacted with these two people throughout the month, it made me wonder, do we love each other enough to inconvenience ourselves in the same way that this person did for someone that she has nothing in common with other than a game? I mean, we call ourselves brothers and sisters in the family of God. That has significance to it, but do we allow each other's lives to interfere with our plans? Are we willing to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced in order to care for our brothers and sisters in this community? Maybe there are times where it does mean being inconvenienced in some significant way for a relatively long period of time, but there are also smaller ways that we can care for one another by allowing ourselves to be inconvenienced. Are we willing to change our evening plans to spend time with a brother or sister who's hurting? Are we fully present when we're in conversations with each other, or are we always looking toward the door trying to figure out how to get out? Are we present enough with each other to even be aware when a brother or sister around us has a need? And if not, are we willing to make adjustments to the rhythms of our lives so that we can connect with each other more? Are we willing to choose to spend time together by going to community group or finding other opportunities to interact with each other even after a long day of work, because we believe that it's important for us to be connected to our brothers and sisters as followers of Jesus. We're called to abide in Jesus so that we can learn to love each other as he loves us. But how do we do this? I mean, if we end the message there, then basically what we come away with this morning is that we're called to sacrifice everything so that we can serve Jesus and love each other. I'll admit, that's an exhausting and overwhelming message for me anyway. If we leave with that message this morning, then it really is hopeless because it all depends on us. And if it all depends on us, then we are bound to follow in the same steps of Israel as a fruitless vine. Jesus promises us, though, that he is the true vine, that he is going to fill the world with fruit and that we're the branches that will produce that fruit. So how do we do that? Well, if we look back at our passage again, there's one word that should jump out at us. In fact, Jesus uses this word 11 times in the 17 verses of this passage. Abide. Jesus calls us to abide in him. He calls us to remain connected to him. He says, apart from him, we can do nothing, but he is the vine that gives life to its branches. If we're depending on ourselves to do all the work, then it really is hopeless. Jesus says as much in verse 4. He says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If we try to do all of this work on our own, then we're destined to fail. If we decide that what we come away with this morning is that we have to try harder, that we have to add more accountability, that we have to add more structure to our lives, then we can't possibly bear fruit from those things. Now, I'm certainly not saying that we shouldn't add accountability or structure to our lives that helps us grow, but it's not enough for us just to come up with a good personal formation plan. 
We have to remain connected to the vine or we become like these dead branches that don't bear fruit and are cast into the fire. And we see that the fruit is not the result of our own efforts. The fruit that we bear is the evidence of Jesus working in us. So we can only produce that fruit through abiding in him. That's why it's important for us to choose to spend time at Jesus' feet, learning from him. That's why it's important for us to spend time in prayer throughout the week and throughout the day. That's why it's important for us to be in God's word throughout the week, not just when we gather together. That's why it's important for us to spend time in the spiritual disciplines. As we abide in Jesus and as we remain in him, we begin to see the fruits of being changed by him. We grow to love him more as we spend time learning from him. And the fruit of our growing love for Jesus is that we grow in service for him and we grow in our love for each other. And we see in this passage that remaining connected to him is crucial. Look at what he says in verses 2 through 6. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. We see in this passage that there's a very clear distinction between branches that are connected to the vine and the branches that are not. If we're connected to Jesus, then we live lives where we bear fruit. And then the Father prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. But if we're not connected, then we're taken away and thrown into the fire. And the commentators on this passage agree that when Jesus talks about the branches that are taken away and thrown into the fire, he's talking about people who are not true believers receiving final judgment. Remaining connected to Jesus is not something that should be relegated to the scraps of our time. We can't have it that low on our priority list because it's the difference between living a life of bearing fruit and being cast into the fire. But if we abide in him, look at what he says in verses 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is a really big deal. Being called friends of God is not something that can be taken lightly. In fact, if we look through the entire Old Testament, only Abraham and Moses are referred to as friends of God. But Jesus in John 15 welcomes us into this incredible personal intimacy with our creator as he calls us friends of God. We're no longer considered servants because as we spend time learning from Jesus, we learn all that he has heard from the Father. So we're no longer left to blindly follow commands as servants do. But as we follow Jesus, we begin to know the will of the Father as the Spirit reveals it to us through spending time in Scripture. When we abide in Jesus, we learn how to flourish. As we remain connected to Jesus, we learn to follow him as he lives the perfect life that we couldn't possibly live. And as we abide in him, we're able to put our trust in his death on the cross that he died for us while we were still his enemies so that we could be called his friends. 
and then rose to life again to go and prepare a place for us. Jesus calls us to abide in him so that we can learn to flourish and so that we can be called the friends of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you did not leave us as your enemies. Thank you that you made a way for us to be called your friends. Jesus, it's an incredible privilege to be called your friend, to, to be welcomed into knowing the mind of God, to be welcomed into knowing the reason for your commands, to be welcomed to walk with you and abide with you in our lives. Father, I ask that you would give us the strength to follow you, that you would bear fruit through us. I ask that you would allow us to see the fruit that you're producing through us, that you would allow us to see opportunities to produce fruit in our communities around us, that you would give us a growing desire to love the people around us the way that you love them. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.